You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Katie Roche is the development director for the historic Englert Theater in downtown Iowa City. She's also a local music star, a founding member of the Awful Purdies, and lead singer of the Dandelion Stompers. You may or may not have heard her work as a musician, but you have undoubtedly felt her impact on the Iowa City art scene, as she's been instrumental to the success of the Englert and festivals such as Mission Creek and the Witching Hour. Now, she's leading a major $6.5 million fundraising push with the explicit goal of establishing Iowa City as the greatest small city for the arts in all of the United States. We talk about the importance of arts in the community, the tension between art and money, and her collaborative approach to nonprofit fundraising in the corridor. I learned a lot about the business of art, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Katie, I want to start with a very existential question. Um, As an artist, how do you view success? Um, Well, I think... Going right at it from the beginning. (laughs) Because it's very different than business, right? I mean, there's there's no P&L, there's no no bottom line, budgets. How do you frame success in your life? I I think it has has a lot to do with authenticity and really finding what the thing is that you want to make and you have to add to the world and sometimes it involves figuring out whose uh, whose voice you also want to amplify and how you can do that with integrity that's awesome and you, and you do that work obviously with the with the Englert theater an, an amazing community organization and and bringing in hundreds of acts uh, a year to the theater and beyond the four walls of the theater yeah. so Katie uh, just briefly Describe and explain what the Englert Theater is and what your role is within the organization. Sure. The Englert Theater is a nonprofit performing arts center housed in a 106-year-old historic building. We present both within and outside of our space. We present a Mission Creek Festival and Witching Hour Festival and um, and uh, other and other venues. Mm-hmm. And I'm the development director there, which means that I, I fundraise uh, for all of those endeavors and. Um, and look for opportunities to bring our community into the fold of helping to fund the local arts. Talk a bit about uh, your path to, to the Ingler. Everybody here in the, in the Iowa City Cedar Rapids community, you know, you're, you kind of go hand in hand w- with that organization. But sure. um, talk a bit about your, your journey uh, to Iowa City and, and to the Ingler Theater. Yeah. Um, as an artist, I was surrounded by people who wanted to make their art happen, make their shows happen. And... I always joke that, you know, my career started in a in a space where people were like turning to me thinking I had these skills that I didn't think I had. They would say, we want to do this thing. How are we going to pay for it? And then everyone would look at me and I was like, I don't have any money. <laughs> you know, why do you think I can do this? And but what they what they saw in me before I saw it in myself was that I could look at these systems and look at the environment and, and figure out how to connect people and things together to make things happen. 
And as I started to do that work, I realized I really enjoyed it. Because it this helped. is your work as a, as a fundraiser. My work as a fundraiser, yep. my work as um, an event organizer. Um, sometimes this, sometimes the art is affected by how you can fund it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, working with artists to figure out how to scale up or scale down according to the funds and um, adjust, adjusting expectations around those sure. things. And, um, and so, yeah, I got my, I got my feet wet in college, um, helped organize a solar-powered music festival. We, <laughs> we, we towed... We towed solar and had um, a biodiesel bus and used it to promote alternative energy. And, um, you know, I had a band that played on the top of the bus on a stage (laughs) and uh, it was it was really cool. And it and it allowed me to learn on the run, make great mistakes that I could learn from Mm -hmm. and um, and just went from there. I just realized I loved it. What was your upbringing like? Did you come from a family of artists or basically you kind of you're playing both parts now? You're you're both an artist. You're helping artists, but you're also you know working for a very successful organization in the Englert. Did you grow up in a family of business people or artists or both? Or talk a bit about your upbringing. Yeah, um, my parents. Uh, I grew up right outside Dubuque in Asbury, Iowa, and my parents were really involved in issues around social justice and. Um, and I think uh, art was very central to our household too. We were, it wasn't like, you know, will you play an instrument? It was like, which instrument will you play? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and good. yeah, and um, so yeah, so for me, we would, you know, we were, we were doing everything from going and, you know, protesting the KKK when they came to Dubuque <laughs> to, okay. to going and seeing the symphony. And, um, and it all seemed really connected to me because it's where the people were gathering together. And I started realizing that there was a lot of power around gathering people together. Sure. And whoever, you know, whoever had that attention at that moment had influence and had, had the ability to get people to hear what they had to say. And so I really do see the arts as a catalyst for social change. Sure. What, um, in Asbury or in the Dubuque area, what organizations were you guys involved with uh, growing up as a kid? Were there specific arts and culture institutions there that were prominent when you were growing up? Yeah. Um, yeah, we were, um, we were involved in different theater programs. Um, I was in the Grand Opera House programs, uh, performing on stage. Um, I, How young was that? Like, oh, it was, like uh, little, little, little Katie or the yeah, more high school? Yeah, oh, or? I took ballet, <laughs> you know. Um, I remember very distinctly that moment of, of being in ballet um, as a little kid and, and not understanding why I didn't get the lead and <laughs> having, having this moment of realizing that I wasn't the lead player and that being in part of the ensemble, very gently being told, <laughs> right. like, this is a really important role. And it was, you know, at the time, like, I can still feel that, like, pain in my <laughs> chest. And like, oh, I'm not, the, I'm not the star, you know. And then, and then that kind of changed everything for me because uh, being, being the lead and being the star has never been my, my desire. It's really more about being that ensemble player and figuring out how to raise up as many voices as possible. That's awesome. Did you go uh, into the arts in college? Was that an immediate focus for you, or what was your education path Yeah, like? I studied, um, I started off with abnormal psychology and quickly realized that it was really hard. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, uh, I studied photography uh, and um, had a deep interest in lyric essay and poetry, hmm. and um, that's still really kind of where I land when I, when I like to write. Um, and uh, you know, the University of Iowa is just an incredible place to get to study writing. 
Right. What was there a turning point at the University of Iowa um, for you in terms of your career path? Was there there was there a moment or a class or uh, maybe a performance or an artistic endeavor that you were undertaking at the time? Can you look back on your uh, your college years and say, hey, there, here's a moment where like I want to I want to do this for my life, my livelihood. <clears throat> I think it had as much to do with. Um, being a student at the University of Iowa as it did being a member of the downtown community. Uh, getting off campus and starting to, I worked at a number of places that had bands play and I started playing in bands. And that was the huge turning point for me. I suddenly was you know, singing lead in a band. I had no idea what I was doing. I was confused why mm-hmm. <laughs> I was being given that, that position. But um, I realized that um, I wasn't sure if I had anything to say that was worthwhile, hmm. so I better hunker down and figure out what I actually thought about right. things. And that was a scary that was a scary moment to to have that opportunity to have things to say. So I found myself at you know Riverfest up on the stage, everyone looking at me, <laughs> and uh, thought, okay, hope this song means something to somebody. Right, and belt it out. That's yeah. Great. Did you? What jobs did you have at, at the University of Iowa? What, what were you? When you're going to class, what were you working on? Um, so uh, my friends and I uh, started organizing. Uh, <laughs> I keep taking it out of school and back into mm-hmm. into life, but we started organizing basically rent parties okay. back in the day, which were some of my first shows nice. that I produced. Um, very illegal. Very um, <laughs> <laughs> copyright. Going back to the, to the playwright. Right? Yeah, and yeah. So we were having you know multiple bands um, playing in our basement, and this amazing thing happened in college where uh, this collective of people that I lived with, um, we sort of loosely called our house the House of Love, and then there was also a drag house called the House of Love. Okay. And people were going to the wrong parties, <laughs> and um, one day these beautiful drag queens showed up at our door and said. We're the house of love. Who are you guys? And they said, we keep having all these little punk hippie kids show up at our house. And I said, we keep having drag queens. So were you charging a cover <laughs> for that? Or what was the... We were all, char- we were all charging covers, yes. Yeah. We, were, we, were, um, we were trying to create a, um, an intentional community mm-hmm. um, around art. And we were you know, making food. And um, you know, uh, the Red Avocado um, was one of the restaurants that came out of that space. Sure. Um, you know, we were... We were all just really trying to empower each other mm-hmm. to figure out what we wanted to do in the world. It was yeah. a really cool time. And you, you kind of straddled both worlds in terms of uh, working for an organization like Englert, but then also being a mentor to artists and an artist yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you view money and financing in the world of art? Do you view it as uh, kind of a necessary evil, or do you t- take more of a positive spin towards it because it I mean it, it's if you look at it, it can kind of serve as a barrier and impediment towards artists being able to do their work in a perfect world no one would have to worry about money and you and the artists can do amazing creative things but how what is your perspective on money and finance now maybe ver- and how has that evolved over the years as, as you've evolved as a professional and an artist yourself yeah I think I definitely bought into the starving artist uh, stuff initially that somehow money corrupted art uh, absolutely and there was there was no way around that mm-hmm. and you know I had friends get record deals and saw their art get destroyed by it and was like, oh yep, that's true that's one hundred percent true right? right and then as time went on, uh, I started to realize that you you could you could keep your integrity and and um, and make your art 
and money could still be involved. And in fact, it's gotten to the, the point that I, I, I coach artists, both loosely and formally, mm-hmm. around their relationship with money to help them understand that um, what they do is not so sacred that they can't be paid for it. You know, you have to you have to define a rate for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what your time is worth, then no one else will. And um, and it's been amazing watching people, you know, start off really, really butting heads with me on it. And um, and then by the end, I have people come back a year later and go, this changed my life. I'm, I have more time to actually make my work sure. because I'm not taking every opportunity because I think it's my last chance mm-hmm. to to you know, that whole like idea that, you know, if you get, you're going to get exposure and that's going to be it. Yeah. It's like, well, pricing it accordingly. No, you're going to yeah. die of exposure is what I tell <laughs> right. them. So, um, there's that's a this, good point. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then in my own uh, work as a professional fundraiser, I, um, I just really like to help people figure out how they, how, what they believe in can manifest in the world through art. So if, you know, if you're someone who, who believes that there's underrepresentation on the stage, I can bring you to, to support Ailey mm-hmm. and show you how having these bodies, having these people of color, these, these bodies that were neglected in dance for so long that made Alvin Ailey necessary in mm-hmm. the world, how supporting that actually changes the world. And then these children that come and they see themselves on stage how important that is. Yeah, it's powerful mm-hmm. stuff. Back to the kind of the artist and building a business around an artist and their art. Mm-hmm. What, what's sort of the, from a high level kind of one-on-one when you're coaching and teaching these people, what mm-hmm. is what does it look like to build a successful business around an artist? Um, whether it's, you know, someone that's doing it on the side and they're working another full-time uh, profession or if it's someone that's a full-time artist, what's the, what are the do's and don'ts on a, on a high level there? Well, I have a mentor in this department whose name is Andrew Simonette. And um, a number of years ago, I won a grant through the Iowa Arts Council, Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs. And part of what we got, in addition to the funding for our projects, was a weekend with the Andy Warhol Foundation. And um, and Andrew Simonette was there. And um, he he's a, you know, a dad, a working artist. And I'm a mom and a working artist. And we just when they said, okay, who does everybody kind of want to spend their, their extra time mm-hmm. with at this, we gravitated towards each other. And he coaches parents who are artists as well because it's, it's, a, different, it's a different math problem, right? Right. When yeah. you're supporting children. Mm-hmm. And um, so a lot of what I teach people I learned from him, and he has this, um, this program called Artists You and a book called Making Your Life as an Artist. Uh, it's a guide to building a balanced and sustainable artistic life. And... His ideas really first, it's a lot of introspection, and I ask people to do a lot of work before I even sit down with them mm-hmm. and say, you know, I want you, to, I want you to chart your time. I want you to look at how much time you're spending on your art itself. Um, and a lot of people come back and go, wow, I'm not really doing anything with my art. I'm just, I'm working, I'm taking care of my kids, I'm, you know. Not being deliberate and carving out the time to focus on on the art, yeah. Exactly, and we all know that, you know, whatever you put your time into pays dividends, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, um, whether whether you're, and and then you have to ask yourself, you know, why are you making the art? Are you, is this a source of income for you in addition to being soul-fulfilling, you know? Yeah. And, and just, you know, what are your goals? Um, and so when I, when I embarked on this program, one of the things that I wanted to do was to spend less time 
doing the business management piece of running two bands Mm -hmm. and spend more time just getting to be a singer, getting to be an artist, getting to write music and, and collaborate. And so the last five years of my life have been incredible since I put those intentions out there and started tracking my time. Um, and the other pieces ask people to track their downtime. Sure. Actually schedule their downtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really hard to do that. Like, are you doing your scheduling? Are you, a, are you, you have some software technology that's ooh, helping you? I'm a you? Google are you a, calendar. Ra- like, wizard? <laughs> I've got like 27 calendars. Yeah. <laughs> I can click off and click on different parts of my life. Mm-hmm. I can be like, this is my family. This is all the aspects of, of um, my Inglert work. Um, yeah, it, it, I love that tool. It's really, yeah. it's really, really helpful. Um, back to kind of the artists and being deliberate and in, in their downtime and their uh, and being able to allow time through their day and week to breathe and, and allow for creativity. What is the the perfect, let's say, four hour block for Katie look like in terms of doing creative work? Like, mm-hmm. where are you? What are you doing? Set the set the scene for us. Oh, I'm definitely at home. I'm. Uh, it's probably a weekend morning. I have a guitar. I've got a tape recorder. I might have my accordion sitting there. I've got notebooks of writing, and I have my children around. You know, mm-hmm. I'm. You like that? I like that. Around, yeah. I like I, I like showing them that you can have multiple dimensions and you can you can balance a career and you can you can also be an artist. I don't think that they have to be exclusive, um, and ideally. Uh, I'm working on an idea that's escaping me. You know, I'm trying to figure out what what's that what's that morsel, what's that thing, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm trying to find. I, I love that moment of realization when you're like, oh, I'm just trying to talk about this. Right. That's all. That's all what all this poetry is. That's what this melody is. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And and finding that. It's, it's great to model that for your kids. Are they the same as you growing up as a kid? Do you have the instruments laid out? It's like not whether you're going to do it. It's which one, which, which one you're going to play. Yeah. Uh, my daughter's taken to music really, um, really passionately. She How old is she? She performs and writes. She's 10. Okay. And um, my son um, has been telling me a lot lately that he doesn't have stage fear. That's what he calls oh. it, stage fear Good anymore. Good for him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, so he stepped out of his bubble a little bit. And um, they both have beautiful singing voices. And, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, switching gears just a little bit, it, you had mentioned it. Your one of your your jobs and your in your roles uh, as a professional is as a is as a fundraiser for the Englert Theater and uh, the, the theater, along with film scene locally, have embarked on really kind of a, a game changing capital campaign, strengthen, grow, evolve, which is you know hopefully to set the stage for decades to come mm-hmm. um, for the cultural institutions in in, in the Iowa City area. But it's it's no small undertaking. Um, <laughs> I know firsthand, having been on the Englert board and been in and around some of these uh, efforts in, in in downtown Iowa City, um, there's a lot of heavy lifting that's going on, um, spearheaded by yourself and Joe and Andre and Andrew and, and all the team there. Uh, talk a bit about a daunting task like that, and mm. you can, you, can, you can share the number of what the goal is, what that looks sure. like. But you know, how do you how do you kind of distill it down and not be bogged down with, you know, something that's hanging over your head, this this huge uh, task of raising tens of millions of dollars. Talk a bit about how you face that day to day and, you know, setting goals and process goals versus uh, not not being overwhelmed by the task at hand. Yeah, uh, this has been a multi-year process before anyone in the community even knew Mm -hmm. (laughs) what we were, what we were working on. We were working on it. And 
Um, I mean, the very first thing we had to figure out was, you know, who who's involved in this process? You know, are we doing this work? Can someone else do this work on behalf of the organization? And ultimately, um, we realized that we, it had to be us. You know, it had to be the people who are currently leading the organizations in Glerton Film Scene to do the work. And then that collaborative process of bringing together two organizations has really been eye-opening and we really view it as a case study to help other organizations figure out how to work better together. Uh, I think we can be really strong when we work together. It might slow things down a little bit because there's more decision makers, there's two boards, you mm -hmm. know, there's there's a lot of a lot of details to bring together, but um, ultimately, you know, the number we, we settled on was six and a half million dollars that we need to raise. Mm -hmm. And that number is pretty huge for two downtown arts organizations, right. especially in light of the huge endeavor to rebuild the arts campus for the University of Iowa, yeah. uh, which is the, the, the greatest compliment to the work we're doing that we could ever ask for is to have all of that come back online and, um, and be operating and mm -hmm. serving our community. So it's, it's been some of the most incredible work I've ever gotten to do in my life. Yeah. It feels like the kind of work that um, when you when you're when you're bone tired at the end of the day, you think, yeah, but you know we're helping people leave a huge legacy in our community. You know, a, a, a restored Inglert Theater, the the preservation of that building, an improved current film scene location, a new film scene location at the Chauncey, programmatic efforts, and um, and then ultimately like the piece that's like that just gets my heart going every day is this opportunity to bring together even more arts organizations to talk about how we can be better allied, right. um, what our shared challenges are, what our opportunities are together. Because I love uh, the idea that we all stop operating within our own little vacuums mm -hmm. and that we have this opportunity to figure out what system we can operate in together right. in a really deliberate way. Build the collaborative, connective tissues up yes. so then it can continue to grow out from there. Yes. Looking ahead through this campaign, which is a multi-year effort, what do you feel are the keys to success? What are, what are the two or three things that the, the fundraising team and the committee have to do in order to accomplish that goal of six and a half million? Well, it's a lot of individual, very personal conversations combined with getting as much exposure for the campaign as possible, just getting as many people uh, turned on to the idea of the work that we're trying to do. And then um, these larger efforts of, of inspiring money from on the state and federal level for the campaign. Grants and, Grants yeah, larger, and, corporations mm -hmm, and yeah. larger corporations and things like that. But I, I really think the, 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 the key to this whole thing is if we can get people to get why we're doing this, because it's, I mean, it is about having, you know, the bricks not fall off the back of the theater. And it is about an improved right. sound system and better, you know, film presentation and, and programs. But it's also about what those facilities do in terms of gathering community together and what film does when people gather. You can, any anything that people want to learn about is out there in film. Mm -hmm. And we can gather around it and we can learn together. And... Um, 
I just, I'm just so excited for the opportunity to have that beautiful facility. And it's funny because film scene's not my organization, right? right? I'm talking passionately. <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's going to be amazing. But this is, this is how I want all of us in the arts community to feel about each other's arts organizations. Absolutely. Um, one more question just to finish before we dive into some of our rapid fire sure. questions. If you, there's, I know there's a lot of listeners that are heavily involved in community development and economic mm-hmm. development and just building the best cities that an Iowa City or Corville or Cedar Rapids or whatever it can be and building you know, what it takes to be a successful city. Talk a bit about arts and culture and their role in creating a successful place for people to live. What, is that, what, what role do, do the arts play? Sure. Well, I think when we, um, whenever people have that envy of larger cities, that's actually probably what they're they actually have envy for mm-hmm. they're 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 envious of the you know great restaurants we have great restaurants here you know they're envious of all of the the, the great cultural offerings of those communities and um, we have some incredible arts professionals here and some incredible arts organizations that are doing wonderful work to make our communities great places to live so um, one of the things that we hear when we when we uh, have an organization who's got a candidate coming in and they say, hey, Katie, can you show them around the theater? Can you talk to them about the arts? That person is so relieved when they talk to me. There's something here. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible, like the calendar that's coming up. And, and, uh, and it changes their idea. It changes their idea of where they can live, you know, mm-hmm. because they've, they've just driven through some cornfields, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a little, they're maybe a little concerned. And right. then they find this, this wonderful cultural beacon in the downtown or, or they, they check out CSPS and Cedar Rapids and they go, oh, I can imagine myself living here. Right. And, and I mean, we all know that's a key to economic development, but I see it in practice yeah. all the time. Absolutely. No, it's an incredibly important work that, that you all are undertaking. Uh, we'd like to finish these these conversations with just some quick quick questions that uh, hopefully give a, a bit more of a glimpse into into you as a person and a professional. Sure. Um, how, if you were to look back on your career, how much of your success would you contribute to luck versus hard work? Ooh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess I I don't even know what luck means. <laughs> I, I feel like what happens happens, mm-hmm. and you have to roll with it. So. Um, I've gotten lucky in the sense that some really amazing leaders have trusted me to come into their inner, inner circles over mm-hmm. the years. So, um, but I work my butt off. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I I love to work hard. I uh, I mean, I lose sleep thinking thinking through sure. the things I'm trying to do the next day. So, yeah, um, both. Both. I guess. <laughs> that's good. Uh, looking back on your on your career, your life, has there been one failure that's been really important in your success and your journey? Just one failure? Yeah, or one particular <laughs> moment or, or piece of adversity or anything jump out. Something you tried and it didn't work out as well, but it set you on a, on the right path. Well, I'll say this. Um, I haven't always left every job because I wanted to, right? I've been let go. Mm-hmm. And that moment helped me both reflect on ways where where I didn't have the skills that I needed and also when the organization didn't have the infrastructure it needed to support a candidate to Mm -hmm. be successful in that position. And so that really has given me insight into hearing the people I work with when they say, I don't have what I need to be successful in this position and to advocate for myself in that. So as a younger person, I didn't necessarily have that insight or that skill. Mm -hmm. That's great insight. Uh, if given the chance, and you you're, you have 
an awesome kind of, I call it slash, but you have a couple different professional <laughs> roles. But if given the chance, what other profession other than the, the ones that you're doing now uh, would you most like to attempt? Ooh. <laughs> wow. Gosh. I, I mean, I think one of the things I think about a lot is, is, some, is exactly what we're doing right now. I really, I really love sitting down and talking to people about their lives. And I harbor this, I foster this little dream of, of, uh, of, of, of actually doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We started out. CBJ is looking to expand the podcast role. That'd be, that'd but be I really, I mean, I, I, I think it's really, people are fascinating. And every single person brings something to the table that we can all learn from. And, um, and I'd, love to, I'd love to interview people who um, maybe aren't the ones that, that, that rise to the top, maybe they're, they're Cur- people. Curating some yeah. different voices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pe- and people who are um, able to reflect on uh, how, the, how, the, how their failures have, sure. have, have informed their lives. Yeah. That's great. Uh, do you have a, someone that you lo- you've looked up to, whether it be in the arts community or the nonprofit world or a, a leader or someone else out there, uh, anyone that, that's been a role model for you? Well, definitely Andre Perry, my executive mm-hmm. director um, at the Angler. We've—I feel like we've grown up together. That's maybe a funny yeah. thing to say, but um, we've worked together um, for over ten years, not just not just at the Angler, and um, and we've really—I've learned so much from him about how to be uh, how to be a good person in the work that you do, uh, how to not take things personally. Yeah, that's always a challenge. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. and. Um, and how to and how to really just like you know sit with something for a minute before you make a decision on it mm-hmm. because it, it feels like it's really fast paced and right. you have to just like you know you have to keep going and going and and he's helped me learn how to how to take a breath. Yeah, I've noticed that in him too. He seems yeah. very very patient, which yes. is good. It's an admirable quality. Yes. Uh, how about podcast or TV show? Anything that you're listening to or watching right now? I um, I'm almost done uh, with Tales of the City on Netflix, which. Okay. Um, I read all of Armistead Maupin's um, books uh, in high school, and they changed my life because there you know, I was in Little Dubuque, Iowa, and I didn't have any sense of queer culture or like what San Francisco was or mm-hmm. what it meant in the world. And um, so, yeah, so getting to see the the next, um, and I think probably final installment of of that that story of those people has been really, really, really fun. That's like a that's a fun one. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, and you cram a lot into each day, but if you have 30 extra minutes in one day, what would you do with it? Probably cook with my kids to have some friends over and just, just chill. Good. Yeah. Uh, a book, anything that's been influential to you as an artist or a professional fundraiser? I always recommend Andrew Simonet's Making Your Life as an Artist. Um, he has a workbook that goes along with it, okay. which is all about looking at your own life. And it's a, I don't, if you wonder whether you're an artist, I think the book helps you understand the artistic parts of your life and the ways that you create as well. A favorite motivational quote? Uh, I have a a silk screen or a screen print on my kitchen wall that says, um, ring the bell that still can ring, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And that's Leonard Cohen. And it's just a reminder that we try our best, but 
we don't know what we're doing. You know, we're all, we're all, we're all <laughs> right. doing our best. Yeah. And that moment where you fall short or you couldn't anticipate something or you're feeling bad about that, just, just remember, like, that gives you clarity for mm-hmm. the next time around. That's awesome. And then just in one sentence, how would you define success? I would say retaining integrity while learning from mistakes. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate the time, and it's always good to catch up. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.